Did wasps come from another planet? If you say Bloody Mary three times into a mirror, does she have to stop what she's already doing to come and kill you? Answers to these questions and more on this episode of This Paranormal Life! Hey! Welcome back to the podcast. It is Tuesday once again. You are listening to This Paranormal Life. Today you are joined by myself, Mr. Kit Greer. This guy, Mr. Roy Powers. Hello, hello. Both very esteemed professional paranormal investigators. Oh, yeah. Decades on the job. And uh, here we are in the golden years of our career, phoning it in. Absolutely. People always ask me how professional I am. I sleep in a freaking tie. I shower in a tie. I'm yeah. always That is ready. all you're wearing, though, which is well, deeply yeah. unprofessional. To show you I'm all about the business. Granted, it's six feet long, so it covers the important <laughs> bits, but... If it covers the important bits, it's going to need to be 10 feet long. You catch my drift here? No. You catch my drift? No, this thing barely You, you catch my drift here? I'm saying I have a yet. hog. I'm saying I have a hog and I'm a businessman. Is that the two things you aspire to be most? Yeah. <laughs> well, with that said and done, ladies and gentlemen, we are not going to dilly-dally as always. Like every episode, we're just going to dive right in. And today's story takes us somewhere we just do not spend enough time on. On this paranormal life, that's right, we're talking Edo period Japan. Wow. That's right, too many paranormal tales take place in places that we expect them to, like in the Midwest, in the 90s. Someone sees something weird, but they're too drunk to hold a camera still for long enough to get some evidence. And way too few cases involve the era of the samurai, the era of the geisha, the shogun. So thankfully, we're going to correct that today and wind back the clock all the way to 1803 Hitachi province. I love that it's going to be such a change of scenery. And you'll be like, so the young samurai Miyazaki said, well, I'm going to have a glass of sake. It's like, so we're still doing the redneck voices. Well, yeah. Miyazaki jumped into his pickup. (laughs) I thought you said we were in 1800 Japan. That's what they called a rickshaw back then. A pickup because you had to pick it up off the ground. Get it? It's February 22nd, and two fishermen are doing whatever it is that fishermen do off the beaches of Haratonohama. It's a, you'll notice that my pronunciation is superbly educated. I'm yeah. a very educated person. I've spent, well, actually not a lot of time in Japan. I actually did like an airport stopover. Um, right. I actually, I, I'll come clean. I tried to get into the country. They took one look at my passport, my uh, police record, and actually just sent me right back. So I was in Japan for probably about 30 minutes. It really wasn't a long time. Enough time, however, to master the Japanese language back to front. You tried to get into the country through airport security in a kimono with a katana. Yeah, I had actually shaved. On the flight, I went into the bathroom, plugged my little electric razor into that thing, and shaved my hair like Tokugawa-era shogunate style. Yeah. Uh, Just like little ponytail. I think that's a red flag already, because I don't think you're supposed to plug anything into those. And this thing was a doozy as well. This was like (laughs) an industrial, like, this is what you shave a bear with in a circus. (laughs) Do they do that? Why? How did you get that on the plane? How did they let you leave the country with that? You're in the, the toilet of the aeroplane, covered your face in shaving cream, and you're just using the edge of the katana blade to, to shave your face. The plane is shaking. You're nicking yourself left, right, and center. There's blood everywhere. People on the outside of the bathroom stall are knocking on the door. Usually you're kind of listening out to hear if the uh, hand dryer is going or maybe if the toilet's flushing. Right. All they were hearing was... They were hearing throwing stars. Yeah. yeah, shuriken coming through the door. And just hearing, f- shit. Just, the samurai must have been bleeding a lot. 
That was me. It didn't work out. But like I say, I did spend just enough time there to um, nail some pronunciation. So I think I'm well set up for this story. So I think the story is going to be gonky des. So that's so wrong. That's right. February 22nd. It's a misty day. And the two fishermen are just shooting the shit Edo period style while casting their lines into the waters. I guess one of them is gazing into the distance when they spot something on the horizon. Hey, what, what's bobbing around out there? They strain their eyes and just about make out in the mist that, yes, there is some kind of boat drifting in the water. Oh. Huh, maybe someone's in trouble out there. So the two men row out to this mysterious boat. But the closer they get, the less sure they are about what they're even looking at. About three meters high, around five meters wide, it was pretty tiny as far as boats go. The fisherman reported that the boat looked like its upper half was made of a red kind of wood, but its lower half was made of some kind of metal. Ooh. Everything about it was not Japanese. Right off the bat, this boat was circular, and boats are not usually very circular. That's, that's checks out. Additionally, the top half was covered in window panels made of glass and crystal. Especially unusual, as at this time, glass was definitely not a commonly used material in Japan. You had to be like real high society to have glassware. That escalated really quickly. It was like it wasn't in the Japanese uh, style of architecture uh, at all. Also, it had glass windows, a fuel tank, rockets strapped to the side, a gray in the dashboard waving. Worried that if anyone inside needed help, the men towed the boat back to shore. They tied it up and started rowing back to the beach. As they reached dry land, they peered in through the glass and crystal windows. Inside, the walls were lined with text in an unknown language they had never seen before. And on the ground of this craft, they spotted what looked like a bed of some kind. Some sheets, and beside that, there was a little container of uh, looked like liquid water and pieces of some kind of cake or bread, some kind of food anyway. You got a little, someone's living in this thing. Yeah, someone's in there for the long haul. It was then that the man saw something else. A woman. Not just any woman. The most beautiful woman they had ever seen. Whoa! Jackpot! The day every every Edo period man is waiting for. Time a hot bride (laughs) washes up on shore like a goddamn message in a bottle. It's so true. The, The amount of days they go out there and, you know... The, there's a big tug on the old fishing rod. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm, wheel mm-hmm. out this giant, huge bass. And they're like, it's just another fish. Just chuck it back in the water. Because they're just looking for that that dream wife. That's what they're doing. That's out right. There. You know, they say like plenty of fish in the sea. There's too many. There's actually not that many girls in the sea. Yeah, there's too many. They're getting in the way of the good stuff, really. Because <laughs> if you're looking for anything other than fish, you're going to be hard pressed. Absolutely. She was about... Five foot tall. <laughs> I mean, which is funny to be like, it's the most beautiful woman we've ever seen. Four foot nine. <laughs> <laughs> Beard to her knees. Foot size 12. Jacked. Angry. Small. Actually, loud. mostly an angry <laughs> mythical dwarf creature. Face and claws of a little bear, but voice of a large bear. <laughs> I hate to see her go, but I love to watch her walk away. The most beautiful person they'd ever seen five foot tall long red hair with 
white extensions that they thought were was either made of fur or some kind of fabric. Her pale pink features of her face were strikingly beautiful, and she wore long flowing clothes made of unknown fabrics. She turned to the fishermen and tried to speak, but it was a language they'd never heard before. She could understand them no better than they could understand her. For the fishermen, almost the most intriguing thing was that amidst all this, she was holding a small box made of a weird pale material that they didn't recognize. And although the men tried to ask her about it and gesture to it, she would not let them anywhere near this thing. Right. The story goes that the woman did not travel beyond the beach in Hitachi province. Rather that the men basically tried to talk to her for a bit, put her boat back together and just sent her back on her way, drifting down the sea to wherever she planned on arriving. So put yourself in the shoes of these fishermen for just a second. What are you thinking right off the bat about this occurrence? This is mad. Well, to start, I don't think I would have towed the boat back to shore. Oh, before, really? Like, before knowing exactly what was in the boat, what was going on. Because hmm. I feel like that's like, um, that's like uh, pirating 101. I know they're not Whoa. fishermen, but you know, they're kind of like pirates. If you're like out on the sea and you find like a little bit of a, like a ghost ship uh-huh. or like an abandoned ship, what you do is, you know, you, you go inside and you pillage it see what you can get, see what the situation is. Mm-hmm. You don't hook onto it and like drag it back to your harbor and then be like, let's see what's inside. Cause you could have a straight up Trojan fish on your hands. Very true. Yeah. You could. God knows what's inside that thing. Luckily it was just a tiny little beautiful woman. Yeah. That's really, that's like the one in a million time that's going to happen by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Every other time they take it back and like, a hundred thousand rival Edo Japan samurai are inside that little (laughs) ship waiting to be brought inside the walls and then they all burst out of it. Yeah, that's the reason customs and immigration exist in airports is because unfortunately 99% of the time it's like a raccoon with norovirus or something. It's (laughs) like, okay, please, this has to stay at the border, cannot come in. So where this paranormal tale differs from many others is that we have multiple written records documenting this story. There are actually three books written in the 19th century that tell this story. The Toen Shosetsu, or Tales from the Rabbit Garden, written in 1825. The Diary and Stories of Castaways, from 1835. And the Ume no Chiri, or Dust of the Apricot, written in 1844. These all sound very irrelevant. One was about a rabbit garden. Apricot dust. I was starting to think Google Translate did me a disservice, guys. I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board in this one. Maybe my 30 mins at the Japanese border didn't teach me enough. Did I mention that the woman turned out to be a giant apricot? It's actually the twist at the end. Fishermen were hungry as shit. They were delirious. They hadn't eaten for days. They opened up a boat and all they saw was a giant apricot. They thought a borderline peach was a Victoria's Secret model. (laughs) The mind sees what it wants. It's a giant, delicious apricot. And whilst there are some differences between these stories that are just a few decades apart, they all hit the same main points of the story. And this... Rory is the point in the episode where I'm about to blow your mind and blow this case wide open because you see these books have illustrations of what the fishermen described. Wow okay cool because I was gonna say I mean it's a weird story so far I wouldn't Mm. necessarily go as far as paranormal it's just a weird boat with a small woman. So far yeah. Wait till you feast your eyes on these. Oh wow 
All right, guys. This is this is a lot. The boat is a lot weirder than I. I'm going to stop calling it a boat from the start. <laughs> right off the bat, a boat is a giant red herring. Yeah, this is a f-ing UFO. <laughs> this is a dome, an alien dome. Whenever I started researching this, I was very alarmed to see the first image. I have to say, this is insane. Uh, again, um, my my uh, Japanese reading is a little rusty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it looks like, um, you know, they've even labeled certain parts of the ship. Oh, I thought she was holding, I thought the woman was holding a giant block of cheese, but I presume that is the box clutching oh, onto. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was so focused on the UFO. I actually <laughs> forgot about the woman. You're like, yeah, I didn't even look at the woman. That is an apricot. That is an absolute <laughs> apricot. <laughs> the boat's an apricot. The woman's a peach and the goddamn box is a nectarine filled with dust. I got to paint the picture for the listeners here. Um, I'll post these photos on Patreon as well. But these images are very like what you would expect if you went to the British Museum or, or a Japanese National Museum and looked at Edo period images. The style of the uh, woman yeah. that's depicted, the style of writing, even just the paper itself that it's written on. It is all like 200 years old. And then right beside that is a UFO. Yeah. It's really strange. As you said, this is like going to the British Museum, going to the Japanese section, binge-watching a series of the X-Files, right. holding your breath until you're just about to pass out, <laughs> and then looking up at the transcripts. And I think this is what you would see. Right. That's a pretty good explanation. <laughs> like m- these mad scribbles, UFO drawings, a woman clutching a box looks like a brick of cheese. There, there's um but these it, are illustrations from 1825 depicting a story from 1803 so suddenly the picture of this story has become a lot clearer are we looking at an edo period description of a close encounter of the third kind i'll say that not so annoying <laughs> are we looking at an edo period description of a close encounter of the third kind i was so ready for you to redo it but like twice as annoying are we looking at any depictions? Like, oh my is... god, lower your voice. <laughs> of the third kind. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, let me try that again. Less annoying. <laughs> Jesus. You know this is bad, right? <laughs> and out of all the crazy details of this story so far, one of the most valuable is that the fisherman saw the symbols of an unknown language through the windows of this craft. Mm. So what do you make of the handful of symbols here that are depicted on more than one of these books? What Kit is referring to is um, four symbols drawn down vertically um, that are obviously trying to uh, send some sort of message. I'm going to try and decipher them right now. Cool. Just like, uh, it's like a Malcolm Gladwell's blink. It's like, we don't even need to have to study this. Let's just trust the human mind. Just snap judgment. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, first symbol. It looks like a sun and a mountaintop. Right. I think that means... Um, Holidays, like a sunny location. Like, oh, like, ooh, like sunbathing on the beach. I think they're going on holiday, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So holiday. Right. Next one looks like a weird little cactus thing coming out of the ground. So holiday cactus. Yeah. Uh, the next one is two balls joined at the ends of an X. So I think that's like a, like some sort of um, some sort of like. Uh, you said you were gonna do like a sorry, snap yeah, judgment, just, just like a really quick, just gonna just 
throw yeah, it right out there. It was snappy. So holiday cactus. Uh -huh. And then this one, we got this third one, this third one that coming in here. And it looks a lot like we got those two balls and we got the X. Yeah, you're describing it again. We're stalling. It is, it is. Your tongue is just spinning around in circles. This is if really hard. I had to say what it is. Ooh, I would, you know, so think about what we got so far. I mean, my God. Ma <laughs> yeah, everyone knows. Think right. about what we got. Mountain. Mountain and the sun. Cactus. cactus found in the desert yeah. comes from the Latin uh, to cack. Some people definitely drink, doesn't. <laughs> some people drink the water harnessed inside. Could that be some relevance to this next symbol? How about I talk about the next one and then we'll just like, it'll give you a little more time to talk about the next one. Okay. okay. I think I'm going to get it. I think I was just about to get it. And you, okay. you've, well, no, it, well, you've it now because my train of thought is all is gone. Really? I just don't know what the, no, I don't know. What I'll give you as much time as you want. If you just had it, I feel like you can you can get it again. Cool, cool. All right. So, what was it? It was cactus, right? The first one? No, that was second no, one. That was, was the cactus. second one. We're on the third one. Um, from the Latin cac to cac. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional here, but n no, it's just not. Stop saying it because it's not true. Right. You're just stalling. And the third, the third symbol, that's the two balls. Right. And the and the line. Dude, don't stress about it. I like, think we, this isn't live. Sorry, look, people are gonna take this shit as gospel, all right? So I need to, I need to nail this. Probably won't. The third one obviously means skip rope or handcuffs, possibly handcuffs, skip cuffs. We'll say fine or cuff hop, whichever you prefer. None of them make sense, so right, let's uh, just stick with one and move on. Okay? All right, we'll, we'll skip do skip cuffs. Fine, uh, skip, skip cuffs. cuffs. And then we have the, the first symbol, which is a mountain and the sun again. Uh -huh. But now there's two suns. Wow. So some sort of like space holiday on right. like Mars or something or some planet where there's two. And moons. how do you think skip cuff fits <laughs> into that picture? Skips. Skip cuff is obviously some sort of alien recreational activity that I don't know what the shit it means. This babe was obviously on her way to Earth for an intergalactic <laughs> skip cuff tournament. Where you have to use a jump rope, but handcuffed to presumably a cactus. I mean, am I crazy to be reading that into these symbols? Sorry, let me say that in a less annoying voice. Am I crazy? So much more annoying. <laughs> to be reading it in that voice. So I think what this, uh, if this was the symbol that was inside the ship, yeah. I think that this woman right. was go going on holiday. Right. Um, from another planet. Mm. She's come down to go on holiday, thought she was going to land in the desert where the cactus are, Latin for tacac, to enjoy some skip cuff. Yeah. Then she has realized I'm not out at the right planet because I wanted the one that had two moons. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So she's, she's drawn that at the end there. And I think that really sums it up. Well, cool. that was just illuminating. <laughs> We've really broken new ground. Needless we, to say, no Japanese academic researchers uh, in the last hundred years have thought of skip cuff, skip cuff holiday. Cool. We're doing conclusions now? Is that... <laughs> we good? Well, some UFO investigators have put forward a very exciting theory about these symbols. In 1980, in England, there was a UFO event known as the Rendlesham Forest Incident, sometimes called Britain's Roswell. Ooh. And this is kind of an aside. I think we should definitely cover this in a different episode. We've had a bunch of requests for it. We just have not got around to it. But I bring it up because symbols were found at the site of the Rendlesham Forest incident too. And they have a lot in common with the symbols from this Japanese craft in 1803. What? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what kid is referring to is unfortunately not Skip Cuff. I don't think that uh, that game lasted. The, um, <laughs> didn't the, make it uh, to England. Time. Made it all across the f***ing galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> and then didn't get from Japan to England. So the, the, the symbol he's referring to is the mountain with two suns. Yeah. That is the, we're seeing a very similar symbol in this case. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Kit, when we bottle up our emotions, it can start to affect us negatively. Sometimes it's important that we get stuff off our chest. Tell me about it. I found a UFO in the forest and now this thing is attached to my chest. Jesus, that's an alien. Mm -hmm. All right, I was speaking metaphorically about dealing with emotions and talking about our feelings by using services like BetterHelp. I don't need to talk about my feelings. This thing can read my mind. Therapy can be a great way to set boundaries and become the best version of yourself. With BetterHelp, you can get matched with a licensed therapist that suits your needs. It's online, convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. We're saying they can get things off my chest, like uh, Zonktar here. Don't give it a name. Maybe me and Zonktar can sign up for BetterHelp together. Give it a shot, and whatever it is, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Paranormal Life today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Paranormal Life as well. And there's too many to get into, but amateur investigators and professional investigators have tried to make links between this Japanese discovery in the 1800s, seemingly before all other accounts of UFOs, and the symbols seen at more modern UFO sightings, such as Rendlesham, such as Roswell. So Rory, I've presented you a case today. Listen, sometimes we present cases that are meticulously put together, and I come in with my own preconceived notions about where I think this is going. This is a goddamn scattergun episode. Yeah. I've presented a case that's over 200 years old from Edo period Japan, and it seems to in some way mirror some of the most beloved cases of the 21st goddamn century. How do we go about picking apart what is truly paranormal here and what isn't? This is an interesting case, and thank you for bringing this to my attention, Kit. I've learned a lot today, but put this in my, like, put on, like, a, my TED Talk voice effect when I'm, like, <laughs> talking to a whole group of people. Of course. Of course, yeah. <clears throat> I've learned a lot today. I think we all have. I think a wise man once said that math is the universal language of the universe. Yeah. The, the universal language of the universe. That's really smart, actually. And uh, I think today we've learned that that is a lie. That is a goddamn lie. Shapes 
are the universal language of the universe, not math. If I meet an alien and I and I tell him, uh, when I go, hey, how's it going, bro? One zero two six five one eight five. Uh, you, you little piece of you little piece of three. You know, I'm calling him out here. <laughs> you little mother six and son of an eight. You're obviously really... <laughs> not fluent in math, by the way. Also, those are very endearing comments that I'm making. You think they're rude, but they're actually really, they're nicest. They're nicest one. Um, hell no. I'm not going to talk to him in numbers. I need to be like, hey, what's up, triangle? Circle, circle, mountain forest. Little cactus, little cactus in your... In your freaking um, skip cuffs? Am I having a stroke? Um, you do know that shapes are maths as well. What? What do you mean? You know, like, so a tri- you said like a triangle, for example. Like yeah, sure. A triangle is defined by bang, bang, boom. a certain surface area defined by having a number of angles, like a specific angles of incidence. And- What's a shape? Is a shape, though? It's not a... It's not a number. Sure, but you define it through maths. Like, that's why they exist. It's because, yeah. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Hey, let me count to ten. One, two, triangle, square, circle. Yeah, I don't think so, man. Nice try, though. Any other this questions? You still any, your other, head talk. <laughs> any other questions from the audience? <laughs> the stage manager comes up. I am so sorry. We do not know who this man is. You're like, you four square triangle? You goddamn triangle? You goddamn piece of three? I'll kill you. Anyway. Are there any other questions from the audience? A thousand hands. <laughs> Raise up. Shit. <laughs> I've been Roy Powers. Thank you. Good night. Like, you're on stage. You have no idea how close to the truth you are. You're like, <laughs> triangle 321. You goddamn triangle square. <laughs> There's like a CIA agent with a sniper. He's like, I got a clear shot, sir. Will I take him out? He's like, no. Wait to see what he has to say. <laughs> He's either a genius or an idiot. <laughs> Like two seconds later, I'm just like, what? What the f***ing square circle? And it's like, it's fine. <laughs> Put down your guns. He's just mad. <laughs> he almost had the recipe for immortality, but he said three instead of triangle. <laughs> That's the recipe for poison. <laughs> Let him go. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is uh, I'm learning a lot about uh, these theories that there is some sort of language being spoken by these extraterrestrials. Because when we looked at the the case of um, the Eben, yeah, um, where they where they go to the planet is the planet called Eben? Oh, the Ebens from Zeta Reticuli <laughs> live on the planet Serpo, of course. Um, Ass hat. We we <laughs> three. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 that planet. Um, even when we looked at that uh, story, <laughs> why swear and then say three? <laughs> Like, there's no consistency. You're just saying half your words as shapes. That was one of the TED Talk questions. Someone get this little nerd out of here. Even that planet that is inhabited by extraterrestrials. Right. We we um heard that it was more of like a hub for like loads of different um different mm, species visiting. Mm-hmm. And they all, none of them spoke in like a unified language. Right. You know, like the, the humans didn't understand the Ebens. Maybe the Ebens didn't understand some of these other dudes who were like coming and visiting. So I think if you were going to take it as fact that some of these um, UFO encounters have been using the same symbols, then that possibly means we're dealing with the same species. Um, maybe more so than multiple races of aliens have been visiting the Earth, but rather we've been 
visited by the same beautiful bastards for over 200 years. Yeah, and you know what? That actually makes a bit more sense. Yeah. Because, you know, the universe is freaking massive. Mm -hmm. And maybe these aliens who are visiting with all these symbols, maybe they're literally like a billion light years away. Mm. But they're the only ones that have been visiting us because the next furthest species is like a hundred billion light years away like it could be it's so vast that maybe the only reason that there's some sort of correlation is because there's only one species intelligent enough within our reach definitely the most exciting theory about what's happening here is that extraterrestrials came to earth in the 1800s washed up on the shores of hitachi and have been coming ever since roswell uh, Rendlesham Forest Incident, and so on. Yeah, But there are other theories out there that we better talk about, and some of them uh, shit all over this case, and some of them are different, like parallel paranormal theories. So, one thing that kind of tripped people up about this story is the fact that the fishermen immediately send this woman away as soon as she arrives. They didn't seem to try and keep her there or try and show her to anyone else. Right. They just kind of sent her on her way and presumably told people about the incident. But we do have to remember that this story took place during the period of Sakoku, or foreign isolation policy, where people were pretty much not allowed to enter Japan from the mid-1600s through to the mid-1800s. It only ended about 50 years after this story. So the men realistically might have sent her away knowing that they or her would get in trouble if she was found out. Right. The trouble with this also means that Fishermen off the coast of Hitachi weren't exactly the most worldly gentlemen. Right. You had to be living in Nagasaki or Hokkaido to have ever basically met um, someone from another country. And even then, it was only going to be China or the Netherlands or Korea, basically. Yeah. So they really didn't have much contact with anyone else. Some people have made the argument, what if just a British ship or any sort of other ship, an American ship, washed up on the shore and it was just a white person would they have thought they were some completely foreign entity yeah because i mean like that would appear otherworldly yeah if you've never seen anything like that in your life before and we do know that in the 1800s other parts of the world in the west did have like these metals and glasses and everything that just weren't common in japan yeah but the possibility also exists that maybe this being this woman didn't come from America or Britain or China or Korea and didn't come from outer space either, but maybe came from somewhere else. They did say that she turned up in a USO, an unidentified submerged object, like a boat of some description, turned up with red hair, very beautiful, human-like, but speaking an unknown distant language, writing in symbols that no one had ever seen before, with futuristic technology that the locals in japan had no idea of would you say it on three we're thinking the same thing i think we are brother me and you we've been in this business for decades our brains are in simpatico all right we'll do it on go you ready three two one atlantis oh not far did we what did we say mermaids are real or not yeah atlantis was real mermaids not real Interesting that you went for mermaids then. New evidence has come to light, evidently. I mean, geographically, we're a bit askew, right? Well, a little bit, but she was drifting. <laughs> didn't know where she was. Um, there's a ton of possibilities here. I think it's about time, like every episode, we have to decide whether it is truly paranormal or not. Is this 
a ship coming from Russia. It's just a human they've never seen before. Is this a runaway from Atlantis? Is this an escape pod that came off an alien craft from Zeta Reticuli and crashed onto Earth? So many options. What are you saying? Well, I think it's it's safe to be a little skeptical because um, we're dealing with fishermen here. Uh, we have the the actual phrase, a fisherman's tale. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, this is a profession of men and women who are known to exaggerate stories <laughs> <laughs> to the point where there's a whole phrase about it. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, if a fisherman almost catches a big fish, they go home to the pub that night and they're like... A, a literal whale on the line yeah and i couldn't bag that sucker it was like the moby dick of japanese serpents yeah you know that's what they're telling people and in reality it was maybe like a 10 foot a big old 10 foot fish um so now we're dealing with this as we said like possibly um a someone from like russia or europe or one of these countries um that they have uh, encountered and again that fisherman style storytelling uh, exaggerates the details and blows this into a way bigger thing than it is. The only thing is the drawings. <laughs> <laughs> We've really got to come back to those things. I, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't go back to the drawings because it's just a UFO. It's a straight up UFO. Everything about it. <laughs> yeah. like The, the paneling. <laughs> Like, like that is a children's drawing of a UFO. <laughs> That's there, insane. There is a solar panel. There's a little circular hatch to look out of. You should have never called it a boat in a million years. Never a boat. That's the only thing that's throwing me. Because it even in the illustrations, it's pretty consistent. This story hinges on one thing. If we take the fisherman's word for it, if this is true, if they retold this as accurately as the books reproduced it throughout the 1800s, then... We have a paranormal case on our hands. There's just nothing else for it. Nothing about it makes sense. The craft is evidently not from that time period or right. nationality. However, like I said, it hinges on whether these fishermen are telling the truth. One fact that disturbs me, that messes me up with this story, is that this is a really popular story in Japan. Academics have taken the time to look into it. And they <laughs> they have minor issues with the story, such as supposedly the the name of the place where this takes place doesn't exist um, uh, we don't know if that means it was lost to history you know the names of all these provinces have changed since that time right the story itself the woman with the box seems to mirror some other japanese folk tales that kind of a similar ilk of maybe like a princess washes up on a shore and she has a precious item uh, okay. these stories are history that seemed a little too close for comfort and made academics think could this be another kind of myth uh, yeah. that's just been weirdly reproduced as fact throughout time? But I will say the pictures of the craft, those are pretty convincing. And even further again, the fact that those symbols reproduced, why would someone with a mythical encounter with a mythical princess from a far off land, why would they make up a symbol, symbolic language yeah. to print in a book? So specific and weird. Maybe when we investigate the Rendlesham Forest incident, we can look a little further into these symbols and try and work out, is it likely that these are coming from the same source, the same goddamn star system? Absolutely. But until then, I don't think we got enough to say that this happened the way Unfortunately it not. It's a no this week. It's double no this week. Damn it! Hey, I'm going to say it. I hope this is like the first one in 
this paranormal life history that I can come back to and reverse my no into a yes. I would love that to happen for new evidence to come forth. Exactly. Let's try and make that happen. Thank you to the uh, beautiful listener that sent in that suggestion. Um, I think you're the first person in this paranormal life history to not even attach a name or any information other than the link to this story in your email. Very smart. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for that. You know who you are. If you have your own thoughts about this case, you can send them into this paranormal life podcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, hit us up on the socials, twitter.com forward slash this para life or facebook.com forward slash this paranormal life. There'll probably be people in the Facebook group discussing this one. You can find that on Facebook. Look for the secret society. Good luck. You're never going to find it. Absolutely not. And if you do, good luck getting in. I am a mean mod. I ban on the slightest offense. Yeah. Uh, you know, someone once posted, hey, uh, thanks for letting me into the group. I'm really excited to like make some friends here. Yep. Banned him. Yep. Banned him. Because you don't make friends in a secret society. You make brothers and sisters. Naive piece of three. <laughs> you actually banned your own mother from the group. That was Absolutely. pretty rude. She, I think she literally signed up. She just wanted to send a little sweet message. She was like, hey, Rory, glad to... And you were like, banned! Banned! Can't use my real name. She tried to support me on the Patreon. Banned! And I doxed her the next day as a warning. She tried to text me on my birthday. Banned! She tried to hug me in real life. Banned! Shunned! Hug denied. Get out of here, Triangle. So I hope you've enjoyed this story about the Itsurubune legend in Japan. But if you can't get enough of our paranormal tales, then you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash this paranormal life, where there is a treasure trove, a borderline unidentified submerged object full of, (laughs) instead of beautiful women and cakes and glasses of water, there is a beautiful trove of podcasts. Exactly. And stuff to check out there. So for just $2 a month, you can get shout-outs, bonus episodes, and t-shirts. So if you can't get enough, that's the way to do it. We don't run ads on this podcast. So the only way to support this paranormal life is through our Patreon. And at the end of every episode, we like to take the time to shout-out people who have supported us on Patreon right here in the podcast. Let's go. Thank you to Abigail Wood. Abigail Wood, you are a beautiful forest of support. You are a mighty oak that stands... Um, and we, we build a treehouse on you. Mm. Um, may the blades of deforestation never touch Jeez. your path, Abigail. May the Californian forest fires <laughs> never raise your part of the woods. Thank you for your support. Thank you also to Chrissy Klabaka. Chrissy Klabaka smokes tobacco. That's right. I think in high school uh, they were called Chrissy the Sissy. Um, mm-hmm. So it took up smoking pretty hardcore to try and um, look a little edgier, look a little cooler. Uh... I gotta say, I'm digging it. Because <laughs> you know what's the coolest thing in the world? Putting your life at risk, oh. I think. That's why like the coolest guys in the world are like firefighters, astronauts. Mm. Um, Those guys who do parkour on the top of really tall buildings. Yeah. Um, seedy guys in basements playing Russian roulette. Like, those are the most badass guys in the world. Bullfighters. Did I say bullfighters already? Now, imagine you were a bullfighter, but also you smoked like Chrissy, like a goddamn chimney. Right. You were automatically the coolest person in the entire room. Because smoking's kind of going out of fashion, but we need to stop that because it's actually... (laughs) I'm not going any further with this. (laughs) Thank you also to Katya Caulfield. Thanks for the support, kitty Katya. Meow. 
Don't get too close to this kitten because she's got claws. I learned that the hard way when I tried to say thanks and she freaking scratched my face. You look like Scar from Lion King. It was deep, man. It was a real deep cut. Was it really a kitty cat or was it a it was a grown mountain woman. lion? Okay. <laughs> it was a grown woman who I startled. With a knife. <laughs> Thank you for the support. I'm sorry I spooked you, Katia. This kitty cat has <laughs> got a machete. Got blades. Thank you also to Bronwyn Duke. Don't ever try and best Bronwyn at anything. All right? Because Bronwyn gone win. It's right there in the name. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Bronwyn gone win. Chess. Sports. Um, uh, ch- checkers. Uh, snakes and ladders. So board games mostly and sports. Mostly board games. Actually, very few sports. Uh, Bronwyn gone lose. It's, it's most the, the physical activities. But when is when your brain's involved? Bronwyn is kind of a Groot style character. Can only really say Bronwyn or Bron lose. Yeah, yeah. That's it's really all he's got in his vocabulary, which is weird because he's really smart at a lot of these games. But I, I, I don't really know what else is going on in the old noodle. But thank you so much there, Bronwyn. I hope you've gone win for the rest of your life. Thank you also to Finn Butler. You might think from a name like Finn Butler that this person has exceptional manners. Right. Uh, the service of an angel uh, looks after his guests. But I'm um, actually far from the truth. One of the rudest people I've ever had the disservice of meeting. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, like, the first time I met him, I was like, oh, Finn Butler. Two scrambled eggs, please. And he had he had the goal to slap me. He's actually a um, taekwondo black belt as well. Yeah. Uh, so he didn't take too kindly to the old chop chop. <laughs> Which was weird because his second name is Butler. So I was like, you know, make my bed, sir. And he roundhoused me. Yeah. Which is kind of rude. Um, a little mean. Not what I would expect from uh, a butler. Not at all. But, um, he did wear a tuxedo, though. Yeah, exceptionally well-dressed. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, I guess. Thanks, jo- Finn. Don't judge a Finn by the butler. That's what I say. Thank you also to Manny Villalba. Manny in the bank, son. Thank you, Manny, for the money. We appreciate <laughs> your support immensely. It means the world to us because we need as much money as possible. Um, the commune is an expensive proposition. Many banks have shunned us. Um... Because we've been asking for too much money. Uh, so the more money we get, the more... They say the more more, more money, more problems. More money, more pro- problems. <laughs> um, and that hasn't been the case. A lot of our problems are due to not having enough money. Yeah. <laughs> now we've got all the money we want in the world. Because we've got Manny Villalba on our side. So thank you. Thank you also to Richard Luke Dix. Richard Luke got rich by fluke. That's right, he stumbled out of bed one day and happened upon a bag full of cash. He became rich overnight. And yes, the mob were on his tail, but he was pretty evasive, moved to the Caribbean, and he's been living large ever since. He's got two freaking first names. That's how elusive he is. They're like, we're looking for a guy named Richard. It's like, my, name, my name is Luke now. So they're like, oh, well, let us know if you find him. <laughs> That's better than having 14 passports. Two first names? Two first names. That's confusing as hell. He's a very much a Matt, Matt Damon born of himself. <laughs> Thanks for taking time out of your busy uh, crime schedule to help us out, Richard Luke. And thank you, lastly, but not leastly, to Ryan Seal. <laughs> it's Ryan Seal himself, washed up on the harbor, throwing 
any coins and salvage that he's found from the bottom of the ocean, just chucking it. I mean, half of it's garbage, but we don't have the balls to tell him. It's like a lobster cage, it's bottle caps. But God, he's just doing it with so much heart. <laughs> Whenever he first washed up, like those Japanese peasants, we peered into his little craft to see if it was some sort of beautiful maiden with tales from a long forgotten galaxy. Right. But it was Ryan. <laughs> or, or. We've loved the little lovable sea scamp ever since. So thank you so I- much for your support. Uh, keep the bottle caps coming, brother, or seal. Uh, I wonder if there's any way to work out how many people pull their pledges <laughs> after they've got their shout out. It was a funny thing I had to do at the live show, which was just like, I would introduce myself to someone and they'd be like, oh, my name is X. And I would remember so specifically just being like, oh, Michael Smith, you little piece of shit. <laughs> just a flashback to me calling them out of the podcast. So, uh, uh, I do apologize if we uh, offended any of you. Thank you for your support. It means the world to us. Whether you are a human, whether you are a seal, whether you are avoiding the mob, or whether your name is Wood, uh, thank you so much <laughs> for your, all of your support. It means the world to us. And that just about wraps it up for this week's episode. We will see you on Tuesday for a brand new paranormal tale. See you later, folks. Ciao.